Hi there, welcome to Glenlyden Baptist Church's podcast network. We're glad you can join us today. If you'd like more information on the church, please visit us on our website, www.gebc.org.nz. We hope you enjoy the pod. Awesome. Hey, thank you, family. Thank you all for participating in that. Thank you for having your cameras on. Hi, Brady boy. Hey. Yeah, sorry, a bit distracting. As I was um, as I was thinking about this passage that we were going to read this week, I had two stories that I want to tell, and I wasn't sure which one to start with because there's one that's this, the football story, uh, probably one of the greatest Super Bowls I've ever watched. But I was so excited about telling you about this game that I realised I'm probably going to speak for 25 minutes uh, about this game just as an illustration, and you're probably not here to listen to me talk for 25 minutes about a Super Bowl. So instead, we'll do a a nice little short story about when I was in college, when I was in year nine, although back in those days, it was actually called uh, third form. And so when I was in year nine, we started the, we started the year, um, and, and you have option subjects, right? These are the subjects that they don't want you to have to sit for a whole year because they want you to give you tasters, um, taster subjects to see what you want to go into, into uh, in the following year when you get a full-year paper. And so these were a term each. Um, and so, you know, in term one, we had drama, which was fantastic. And, and then we had music, which I was subpar in. And then a term of learning um, language, Japanese was the language I learned. And then there was a term of something else, uh, which my old man brain has um, betrayed me of, and I can't remember. But no doubt it was the dud subject in the cycle, because there's always a dud subject in the, in the cycle. And then we have the second option round, uh, and that had food technology, which was mostly cooking and then learning a little bit about food, and that was fantastic. And we had soft material technology, which I made a sweet pair of shorts that I was allowed to wear on Mufti Day. Um, and then we had hard materials technology, uh, which uh, I was, yeah, a bit subpar in there as well. But then we had the absolute dud for the whole year, the worst subject known to man, and that is art. Because I am uh, terrible at art. And, and so these are all tasters, right? These are tasters that they just want to see if you've got any talent in that area. To, so you might want to go into that next year. So the teachers are, are less hard on you because they know you haven't chosen to do it. Um, they know you might not excel in this. And, and so they're pretty generous with their work, um, with their marking. Except my art teacher. I think he thought everyone loved art, everyone should have art talent, um, and he judged accordingly. Now, I've got as many artistic bones in my body as I do musical bones, and if you add all of those bones together, you still get a number less than one. But the art teacher expected perfection. The art teacher wanted brilliance, and I couldn't deliver. And, and very early into that term, I decided not only did I know that I couldn't deliver, I just decided I'm not even going to try to deliver. And so the grades came in at the end of term, and I failed the course. I failed this taster course. Um, some of the other teachers didn't even know you could fail a taster course. And, and I guess in that way, I, I, I set the bar. You know, I'm a bit unique. I do things that others didn't know were possible. But I remember this comment, and it was in my report card for like for all time to remember. Shannon's work wouldn't look so dirty if he actually decided to wash the brushes in between changing colours. Now I did wash the brushes, teacher. I always wash the brushes. I was just trash and not painting on top of another colour that wasn't dry yet. 
I was just bad at art. It wasn't my skill set. I was never going to produce anything even of average quality. And I was certainly not going to be producing anything that would be worthy of being called a masterpiece. As we've gone through Paul's letters to the Ephesians, each week we've heard a little bit about this temple. This temple that is dedicated to the worship of Artemis. This temple is a masterpiece. This temple was massive. This temple was 137 meters long. It's 69 meters wide and it's 18 meters high. And so I'm trying to think, how do we get some perspective on this? Because you can say numbers and we don't get it. But this, this temple is too long for the pitch at Eden Park, if you're a rugby fan. If you're a, if you're a public transport person, 69 meters, this is, this is so wide that if we lined up six Auckland transport buses back to back to back to back to back to back, 69 meters is still longer than these six transport buses. This thing is as high as a five to six story house. This thing is massive. There's 127 columns of marble that are holding up this roof. This roof that was also made of marble. Everywhere you went, this temple was known about. And the Ephesians that Paul was writing to lived in the city that had one of the seven greatest wonders of, of human creation of all time. And they knew it. The temple was Ephesus. And it was universally agreed on that this, when you think Ephesus, you think the temple of Artemis. And when one of the Greek writers early on was describing the seven wonders, he said of this temple, that I've set eyes on the wall of lofty Babylon, on which is a road for chariot. And I've seen the statue of Zeus by the Alpheus. And I've seen the hanging gardens and the colossus of the sun and the huge labor of the high pyramids and the vast tomb of the Musulus. But when I see the house of Artemis that mounted to the clouds, those other marvels lost their brilliancy. And I said, lo, apart from Olympus, the sun never looked on it so grand. There was no escaping this temple. This was part of their city. This was part of their lives. It was the greatest of all man-made creations. It was a masterpiece. It was the masterpiece. And Paul is writing to the Ephesians in this context, in this reality, with the knowledge of this incredible man-made creation before them. And in chapter 2, verse 10, he puts into perspective the worth of humanity compared to the worth of human-made creations. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. For we are God's masterpiece. We can read that, and we can hear that and think, oh, that's a nice statement. That's a little bit uplifting. That makes me feel good about myself for a moment. But this is not what those in, the, in, in Ephesus would have heard in this letter. Because there is this masterpiece before them, the greatest human creation in their city, the temple of worship to a God. A God that Paul has already shown holds nothing in comparison to the God of creation. The temple to a God that followers seek all sorts of blessings. 
But Paul has already reminded the Ephesians that all spiritual blessings are already afforded to those who follow the God who created, the God who redeemed, the God who took on sin and beat death. All spiritual blessings, all of them are already available to the ones who have been made new in Christ. As Gary spoke about last week, resurrection power, ascension power, they're available to the ones who have Christ as their king. Paul repeatedly shows them in the first one and a half chapters that this God, our God, he offers all this freely to those who choose him. And now this God, the one true God, our God, is describing them, the people of Ephesus who follow him, as a masterpiece, describing the individuals collectively in the city, describing the church in the city, and elevating them, or perhaps perhaps better, letting them know that God has elevated them over this man-made creation, the best man-made creation, and calling the church God's masterpiece. I love Paul's language here that he uses. We are his masterpiece. He has created us anew so we can do the good things he planned for us. He is elevating them and appealing to the church to work together, to be the people that they were created to be, to do the things together, to do the work the church has always been planned to do. Paul's encouragement to the church here was to be the church cooperating, working together, being in unity. This was his appeal to the church. And you know what? We know the church of Ephesus dropped the ball on this one. The church of Ephesus didn't do this. Because in Revelation, there's the letter to the church of Ephesus that tells us that they had lost their love for God and for one another. Revelation 2, 4, and 5 from the New Living Translation. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you first did. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. Turn back to me and love God and love each other. These are the first works. These are the good things that were planned for the church long ago. To love God and to love each other. Paul's writing to the Ephesians still has so much richness for us today. Love God and love one another. Scripture says the world will know we are his disciples by the love that we show for one another. And so we know the church of Ephesus here dropped the ball. We know they lost their love for God and love for each other. But how is the part of a church known as Glen Eden Baptist doing? As we look at that, as we explore that a little bit, let us remember firstly how God sees us. God still sees us, the church at Glen Eden, as his masterpiece. This isn't limited to the church in Ephesus. Jesus' life was lived as much to demonstrate for us how to live today as it was for the Ephesians. Christ's sacrifice on the cross today, uh, Christ's sacrifice on the cross was as much for the Ephesians as it is for us today. The pouring out of God's Spirit that was as much for the Ephesians as it is for us today. The availability of resurrection and ascension power as was as much available for the Ephesians as it is for us today because the church worldwide is still God's masterpiece. We are called to be the ones who show love to each other and to be the ones that God loves 
and to reach out to the ones that God loves that aren't part of the family yet. And so as the temple of Artemis was known throughout the Roman Empire, so we are meant to be known throughout our community, throughout our city, throughout our country, and we must be known as the ones who have a love for God and a love for each other. How are we doing? How are we doing as part of the church known as Glen Eden Baptist? How are we showing love to God first? Because in this time when worship is different, when the world has made us busier, more stressed, more isolated, how do we remember to prioritize the worship of Him, the resting in Him, the walking with God, being led by His Spirit during this time? How are we doing loving God first? How are we doing with loving others? How are we doing with showing our love to those in our family whose choices are different to ours? How are we doing with showing our love to those in our whānau who think differently and act differently to us? How are we going showing love to those in our congregation that aren't able to gather with us the same way that we can here? Maybe they can't gather online either. How are we going showing them love? How are we going showing love to those in our community as we're all affected by the rising costs of living, the rising costs of basic goods, the rising costs of getting to work? How are we going? Because of these the basic works? Are these the good works that were planned for us long ago? To love God and to love each other. We have to do this together. Collectively, we are God's masterpiece. The sickness of the Western church for as long as I can remember has been this pursuit of individualism, of the internalizing of our faith walk, of the privacy of our Christianity. Paul's reminder to the Ephesians in his letter and to us today is that the church is God's masterpiece. And we all know that the best way to appreciate a masterpiece is to see it. Are we letting the world see the church? Are we letting the world see us be the church? Jesus teaches us that we're the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise our Heavenly Father. Let's make sure together, GBC that together we be God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Let us make sure together, Glenn and Baptist, that we display God's masterpiece as we do the good things that he planned for us long ago. Let's pray. Thanks again for joining with us today. If you'd like to know more information on the church or reach out to one of the pastors, please visit our website www.gebc.org.nz. Hope you have a great day.